inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. Outlook. Radio Western. Hello, everybody. Good day, and welcome to another episode of Outlook. Final episode for March already. Already a quarter way through this 2021. Yeah, I'm very, very in, into spring this year. Yeah, yeah. Very nice to finally have the weather warming up and all that, as we like to talk weather on the show occasionally. So, <laughs> off the top, we do have a we do have a very special guest on today's show. We are very much looking forward to. But before we get to her, I just want a quick mention that our convention, virtual convention for the Canadian Federation of the Blind is coming up very, very soon. Actually, just, just over a month from now, it'll run from April 30th, Friday, April 30th, until Sunday, May the 2nd. And this is the Choices and Goals 2021 Convention of the Canadian Federation of the Blind. And for more info and to register, just go to cfb.ca. All the info will be up there, and we'll be continuing to talk about it over the, over the next month until it happens. So. Hopefully you can uh, you can attend and uh, it should be a great event and a lot of fun. So yes, but today on Outlook we will uh, talk to our guest here, and uh, her name is Ramya Amuthan, and you can hear her weekdays from two till four on AMI. Uh, right, that's true, right, um, Ramya? Yes, that's right. Uh, I'm co-host of the show Kelly and Company on AMI Audio. So you're you're the company in Kelly and Company. <laughs> I'm part of the company. There's me. <laughs> there's all the listeners who are tuning in as well. Okay, we're all in there with you. <laughs> yeah, cool. anyone who's listening is part of the show too, right? <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, we had we actually had Kelly McDonald on near the end of last year, so it's nice to have his co-host and. Uh, Show is a it's a great show, so we'll definitely get into more details about that throughout the episode today. Yes, but um, we always like to hear a bit more about our guests before we get to that sort of thing. Um, so, Rami, do you want to just tell us a bit about yourself, like what kind of your childhood, where you grew up? Yeah. Okay. So we're gonna go way way back. So I am I'm currently 28. Uh, so I've I was born in Sri Lanka. That's where um, I started everything I guess but I came to Canada pretty young I was two two-ish when I came here and we went straight to Toronto um that's where my dad was situated and that's where my mom ended up um coming as well so me and my mom flew here uh from from Sri Lanka to Toronto and that's where I've lived my whole life mostly in Scarborough because uh childhood up until I moved out of my parents um we were always living in Scarborough um different places of Scarborough but in and around the Kennedy and Eglinton area so shout out to Kenny and then when I moved out I was 18 and since then I've kind of moved around a little bit across the city mostly um North Yorkish but you know here and there are you guys familiar with Toronto yeah I mean I actually lived in in Toronto from uh 2006 up until 2012 so i now live in london ontario but it's so it's been been quite a while since i've lived there but actually as well our older brother lives in uh, in scarborough so 
There you, there you go. go. The connection. Connection right there. I know Kennedy and Eglinton. I know exactly where that is. So, yeah, it's where all the good restaurants are. <laughs> well, the, the, the good hole in the wall restaurants. Um, but yeah, so that's that's kind of where I grew up for most of my life. I mean, when I was in high school, I was in Scarborough. So it always feels like home to me, even though I've moved around a little bit after that. Um, you know, d- I discovered a bit of the West End after 18 because I lived there for a few years, but it, my heart always pulls me back to the east end of Toronto because Scarborough always feels like home. Um, now I'm not in Scarborough, but it feels like I'm close enough, you know, like a 15-minute bus ride away. So I I favor the east side of Toronto over the west just because it feels like roots. But um, yeah, that's a little bit about me and, and where I grew up. Yeah, it's always a nice area. I found it's, I mean, I, I lived the, closer to the, the science center, so I was definitely east Toronto, but not quite nearly that far. Um, and it's it was a little bit out out of the way from downtown, but it was still nice because it was a quieter area, so it almost didn't feel like I was in you know such a crazy spot. But yet, it was still accessible to get to downtown Toronto to go to shows and whatever else I did. So. For sure, anything that can kind of bring you to the Young Line feels like it's close enough to downtown, right? I mean, even if you're not necessarily right next to it, you feel like you could get there quick because it's a train right away. But I'm near the Science Center right now, actually. I'm. Uh, on Don Mills, so it's pretty cool to be in this area. I love this area. Very nice. Yeah, sounds like you moved around there in the Toronto a lot. Um, compared to Brian, yeah. how many places well, did you? I live guess I in? lived in three different places in Toronto, so which is still quite a few. Quite a few, yeah. So for people who are maybe just curious about places in Toronto, since you've been there all your life, basically, like, so give us like a recommendation of, like you said, some hole in the wall place that people should try once this quarantine and all this stuff lifts a little bit. Honestly, okay, so because I mentioned Kennedy and Eglinton, and I'll just tell you about that spot. So there is a lot of, I'm Sri Lankan, as I said, and I love finding good Sri Lankan places. I mean, my mom's home cooked food is always uh, going to be top of list for me. But um, not sure if you guys have tried Sri Lankan food or if you're a fan of like South Indian food. Um, but there's a lot in Scarborough. The one closest to my parents is called Venusian. Not everybody knows about it, but it's um, a highlight for specific things. Like Kotaroti is the the highlight Sri Lankan food that everyone will talk about if they know, if they have any familiarity with Sri Lankan food. So it's like chopped up pieces of roti mixed with a specific kind of curry, right? Like either chicken or other type of meat, maybe vegetarian if you're into that as well. So this place has one of the best kotas in Toronto, I'd say, hands down. Me and my brother say, okay, this is like our family opinion. And um, you could find other places with kotu like around Toronto, but this would be my my hit spot. And that's at Kennedy and Eglinton. And then there's other places that have changed. Because when you live somewhere for a really long time, my parents live at Kennedy and Eglinton. So I go there all the time. You see certain places uh, transform, right? Something used to be a... I don't know, um, what was it? A Filipino restaurant. And then a year or two later, you see it change into another kind of restaurant. So there's been a few things that have come and gone that we've seen. My favorite was when that place was Retro Burger because the burgers were so good. Um, (laughs) But now I don't even know what it is. I think we've stopped going there because the, the current place it is is not as great as some of the things it used to be. But yeah, there's a lot of food places in Scarborough that are just not super promoted it's mostly 
people who are in the area know about it. Or if you go exploring with a friend who knows the area, you find out about it. But they're not, you know, all over social, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's always neat to find places like that. And you definitely hit it on the head with the Indian food. I always really love Indian food. I don't eat it enough, actually. But um, that sounds that sounds really good. And I try to I try to find the more local you know, businesses instead of su- always supporting the, the big chains and stuff like that. So, so that's great. Yeah, I agree because the, the food, the thing is, oh man. And once you get me talking about food, there's really, <laughs> there's, there's something fantastic about just going to restaurants with people who know the area. And it's not, it's so different from like Googling, you know, Indian food near me, right? Because you're going to find all the places where the businesses are promoting themselves or people are leaving reviews or things like that. But then there's other places where you don't really hear about that way over the internet, but somebody around here knows how good that food is. And it's a gem to be going around with them to find the food. That is true. Yeah. As far as that food, I'm not, I mean, as a writer, I don't write about food primarily, but um, I know so many people who who do that and love it. And it is a rich area for writing, obviously. So that is a rich area, yeah, for sharing with family and friends and things and your your sort of pride in your neighborhood or. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or even socializing. I mean, there's so many great uh, ways to kind of bring socials into foods. It's probably one of the biggest ways we do it, right? When we socialize, we eat. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I totally agree that there's a lot of angles to to figuring out food. I guess with this pandemic, everybody's more like eating alone, sadly, because food often brings people together and it's been harder to do that. No, absolutely. That's a that's a huge point. But there's also cool ways to do it. I mean, my friends and I have um, gotten together virtually, as a lot of people are, and (laughs) do something where we say, "Okay, it's Italian night and we all order hopefully from the same place. But, you know, if you're a little outside the radar of uh, some of the places that would deliver to all of you uh you could just do italian and everybody order from their own place but you're all eating the same type of food and that has brought so many fun conversations to the table guys because it's been hilarious you know everybody order tiramisu well mine's is great but mine isn't oh i wonder if yours delivers to my place you know it's so great (laughs) um having that kind of experience even though virtually and even though you're not in the same place it's just still fun to do stuff around food i find yeah, it's still like a giant supper club type thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's the important part about all of this stuff that we're going through is finding ways to adapt and still be able to do things, you know, differently, but still things that you love doing and being able to still connect with people and socialize, even if it is virtually. So yeah. it also sort of ties a lot into blindness in general is adapting. And I think that's something that maybe for the pandemic, it's been it's been hard for everyone. But I feel like for me being blind, it. I'm kind of used to finding ways to adapt. So um, that maybe has played into it a little bit. Um, But I'd like to go back to a little bit about growing up and discussing your blindness um, in in, uh, more detail. So I I believe you were born blind. If you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about um, blindness uh, growing up and the condition that you were diagnosed with and a little bit about about that. Yeah, so I self-identify as low vision because I do have some vision. I'm legally blind here in Canada and... Um, when I was born, my parents soon discovered that I had issues, uh, with my sight and some of those issues, they didn't realize the depth of until we came to Canada. Cause you know, in Sri Lanka, it was a, a bit different. You'd go to, I don't know, 
doctors, um, other kinds of therapists, you know, uh, people who do like Ayurveda, naturopath, naturopath medicine and things like that to try to figure out what's going on. Um, but there was no like for real diagnosis, right? Until my mom came here, which it, to her, she always said it was a blessing that she did because she figured out um, about how much vision I didn't have, but all, also about how much vision I did have. So I'll get into that in a second. But basically when we came here, um, she went straight to sick kids hospital, I guess, or somehow ended up there. And they had diagnosed me as having Lieber's congenital amaurosis. LCA is um, a way easier way of saying it. But so Lieber's is um, a big family of vision conditions that are retinal uh, and genetic, congenital in nature. So there's a bunch of people that I've met over the years who have Lieber's, but we have uh, like varying differences, um, a spectrum of what our vision is like. You know, it's not, oh, I can see this. How about you? Well, no, I can't. So it's a lot of a lot of different types of vision. Um, but when I was younger, my mom realized that I can't see certain things, yes. But she also realized that I still had some vision. So there was this huge dichotomy of making sure that she was letting me use the vision that I had. She took it upon herself to teach me, to train me um, before the professionals got involved, you know, when it came to helping me learn how to read and write or learn mobility or learn some um, living skills and motor skills and things like that. My mom was the first professional in my life. Like she decided that she was going to take this whole thing um, upon herself and be be the person that that decides how I was going to do things. And so that really shaped me, I'd say. Um, she didn't want me learning Braille because she knew that I could see some. So she decided that if I, as long as I had markers or, you know, something that could write real thick and, uh, some really good lighting, you know, lamps and bright light and sunshine and window seats and things like that, I was able to learn how to read and write using my vision. So she taught me all of Tamil, uh, that's my first language and all of English alphabets and numbers and all that stuff. She taught me how to write and read some before I got to school so that I could be on the same level as everybody else. And um, she also, like speaking of school, let everybody know that I'd be in an integrated school system because she didn't, she didn't want me going over to, for example, W. Ross McDonald, right? The um, blind and low vision school over there. She didn't want me going over there because she didn't think that people would realized that I had vision still that I could use. So she didn't want me getting caught up in not using my vision um, and saying, okay, yeah, she has to learn Braille because she can't read visually. She was adamant that I was going to use the vision I had um, because if I didn't, there was the the chance of losing it, right? Or, you know, not training. Um, so yeah, that was a lot of my childhood, honestly, learning how to be low vision, not blind, learning how to be low vision. So, you know, make sure that I was telling people what I could see and not just stuff that I couldn't see um, and exercising that part of me when it came to advocacy. So it was a it was a really specific stance that my mom took when I was younger and it really shaped who I am today and how I advocate for myself. So now fast forward uh, like 20 something years, uh, I'm a screen reader user primarily 
but I still use a lot of low vision enhancements, right? Like um, inverting the colors on my screen so that things are white on black. I'm not sure if uh, either of you have enough vision for that, but that's uh, something that I do to help enhance my the visual experience, if you will, visual stimulation. Um, but I also, you know, type and, and do all that kind of stuff uh, auditorily, even the way that I read, it's auditorily. I use the screen reader help to help me listen and then I repeat back what it says. So all these different things, um, I'd say I'm still kind of using bits of bits of both, bits of vision enhancement as well as vision substitution. Um, but maybe if my mom hadn't taken that stance of utilizing the vision I had, it would be quite different for me and the way I do things now. Right. Yeah. And that's why it's always so interesting to hear about people, um, their families and stuff growing up, because that, like you said, that has a big effect and that shapes um, how you learn and the way you look at things sometimes. And so, um, so I, I don't, obviously don't probably don't remember uh, your life before Canada, I assume. Like, what was it, what are, what is it like for blind people in um, Sri Lanka? Do you know? Yeah, no, I've definitely been back a few times and I've actually met with uh, people over there who have vision loss or who've been blind. Um, and it's tough. It's really tough. I remember there was a moment where they saw my cane uh, or or had realized that, you know, I was a white cane user. I'm a white cane user right now. And there was a bunch of people. We were gathered around like the lobbyish area of in, of the institute. Uh, that's what they call it, like the blind institute over there. And um, I showed them my cane. And they were like, oh, my God, your cane, it folds up. And it, it's got an actual tip that rolls. And wow, like this is so cool. And I, I was really young at that time. I was in grade six or seven. And I was like, wait, what? What do you mean? So what's the cane like here? And they're like, we don't have canes. I mean, maybe some people have canes because people have sent them things from uh, where they live, but they don't even like using a proper white cane was even a, a, a huge deal for them, let alone a cane that folds and has a, a movable tip, you know? So uh, stuff like that, the, the technology advancement over there, not, not in terms of how much they do, but how much they have access to is really, really different from here. And here, you know, you pick up your smartphones and you pick up your everyday uses. And we know the, the struggle that people have even here to get access to certain technology. And we're really, really hard on pushing it so that everybody can have a smartphone in their hands or everybody can have like a certain type of accessible technology and be able to work and go to school and all that. But over there, it's it's really tough. Like it's really tough to live an integrated life when you have a disability and um, particularly when you have a a vision disability, um, as far as I've been exposed to. Yeah, I, mean, I hear a lot of different places in the world. I'm I'm always fascinated just to know how blindness is what blindness is is seen at, uh, like there in different countries. Um, but um, yeah, like it's always fascinating. I always hear that there are usually schools for the blind in most countries that I hear about. But it depends on who gets to go to them and all these things, right? So. Exactly. And how far you live th from them. Like, you know, when I when I first started to learn about W. Ross um, at, at a particular age, I remember thinking, well, wow, this is so cool. It doesn't matter where you're 
where in Ontario you live or maybe even outside of Ontario. I mean, there's other schools in the past that have uh, had or been schools for blind, schools for the blind. Um, But other than that, like, you know, potentially uh, distance isn't an issue, whereas in certain places there are, or it is an issue. I went to Guyana also. Um, I have a friend who's Guyanese and I ended up taking a trip with her to Guyana and ended up staying there for like six six weeks or something when I wasn't in school and visited a lot um, at the blind school over there. And it was tough because their blind school is located in the main city in Georgetown, Guyana. And if you weren't from Georgetown, you couldn't get there. So there's a lot of blind people who couldn't even take advantage of the school. And they had great things to offer, great resources. They were playing blind um, cricket. They were learning a lot of other blind sports. They were learning life skills. They had access to technology uh, and development. Um, you know, if you wanted to start your own business, they had courses for that, stuff like this. And the guy who was running it, um, he's a, still a friend of mine, and he's incredible trying to make sure that that place has uh, room for flourishing, right, of, for blind and low vision people. But one of the biggest issues was if you couldn't access the school, access the school literally because you didn't live in the city, then you couldn't even take advantage of all the the things that they offered. So it's true what you're saying, like the the getting to the school is a huge problem. It's a huge thing that people face in a lot of countries. Yeah. And it's one of those things that, you know, even in Canada, we talk about how Canada is such a big country and we're so spread out and that it's hard a lot of times to connect in some ways. But at the same time, it's uh, it's hard to. And that's why it is always interesting to hear about other countries, because, you know, every 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 country has its own situations and pros and cons but you just you do think about these other countries where it is really hard for people to get to these schools that they do exist there but it's just not as as easy to get to as maybe in here in Canada so it's yeah, it's always very interesting to to talk more about and, and learn about well, I was going to ask about travel but I, we've already sort of hit on it a little bit there um have you traveled a lot I have um I wouldn't I'm <laughs> I haven't traveled nearly as much as I want to and wish I would have or like continue to plan to. There's just so many places that I want to go to. Um, and I'm an extremely adventurous person, so I'm down to go wherever, you know. But if somebody says they're going, I'm like, okay, hey, I'm coming too. Um, but, but obviously, like, you know, you're not, I guess money is a huge thing, right? Because not everyone has all the time or the money to spend on travel. Um to, to do as much of it as you really wish. But yeah, over the years, I have taken advantage of a lot of opportunities. Like Guyana was a really good one. Um, outside of Canada, I've been back home to Sri Lanka mm, three times or so over the, the span of my life. And I've been to like Europe, Western Europe, did the whole tour kind of thing um, with the, to a few countries with my parents, my family. That was a real interesting family trip because we did a, a driving version of Europe. And it was hectic. I'm not going to lie to you because we spent a lot of time together. And that is <laughs> that was a plus and a minus for us. A lot of bonding, but a loss, also a lot of like, are we sleeping in the same room again? Okay. Um, <laughs> But it was fun. And then even in Canada, because of AMI, um, I've been blessed to travel to a lot of places in Canada as well that I'd never dreamed of 
going to on my own. Um, so through work and through Kelly and company, we've gone to the East Coast, like St. John's, Newfoundland. Um, I went to Halifax with uh, another project that I'm part of, the Young Leaders with FBC, so Fighting Blindness Canada, and then the West as well, like parts of um, Vancouver and Banff and things like that. But you know what? Honestly, the things that I've been saying lately is, and especially because the pandemic has made me realize um, how many beautiful places there are to go in in and around Ontario that I still haven't visited. So many small towns, so many places um, that we just didn't do a lot of road tripping to when I was younger, like with my family. So there's a lot of places that I need to get to know. Yeah, Ontario, for sure. I always love love living in Ontario for that sort of thing. And I've I've, I've luckily got to do it some somewhat. So yeah, a lot of outdoor stuff because that's that's what I'm like super excited about doing more of. Yeah, what kind of things have you have you done? Sort of adventure type activities. I remember listening to your Newfoundland episodes with um, Kelly, but I I couldn't remember if you guys did any kind of. The Newfoundland episode was awesome. Um, We (laughs) we spent so much time eating in St. John's because oh god the food the the seafood obviously we were just like kings and queens every day eating out there um but also we got screeched in that was really fun our friend and community reporter on the show Kim Thistle she was like the tour guide of a lifetime like absolutely like she showed us around everywhere and every day she was like at our doorsteps of the hotel being like okay guys I'm ready to take you here and take you there and take you there too and it was just so fantastic and she was so good at knowing um the history of places and the landscape and why this little thing is significant for this big reason and she t- took us to all the amazing food spots too I, I just have to say that again because everywhere was so cool every place we stopped <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say that ties right into what you were talking about earlier with food places where when you when you know somebody who's who's familiar with the area and knows it so well that you can have that personal touch to it, it makes it so much more enjoyable than just, you know, it can be fun exploring things totally on your own without any reference there, but it, it seems to make it more of a, an enriching experience to have that. Yeah, because it feels like their home, right? Like if you go with a friend, if you had no idea about you know, what's in St. John's, Newfoundland, and you go with somebody who's lived there, you feel like you're you're getting to know them. Like, honestly, in essence, I felt like I was getting to know Kim and what she loves doing and where she loves going. And so now when I think of St. John's, I think of it as like doing things with Kim because she she took us around. Like she let us into um, her world, basically. Yeah, and good a good tour guide can make all the difference. Huge, huge. <laughs> Well, I hope you do get to travel more because um, it is pretty cool. Yeah, I hope we all do. I, are you guys big fans of traveling? Um, I am. I think Brian yeah, more for sure. than he used to be. Yeah, definitely. When I when I was a kid, I was pretty close-minded and oh, I just want to stay home and listen to music and play guitar and stuff like that. But but as I got older, I've, you know, I've been to I've been to Iceland with a friend and that was a really neat adventure. But again, that was kind of the same situation where you're talking where it would have been kind of nice to know someone who had been there or knew more about it because we went and it was... It was a good experience to go, obviously, but it wasn't, I don't know, I just felt like he, my friend hadn't really traveled much at all, and it was just kind of like, okay, we're here, now what, sort of thing, and we did book a tour for one day, but it's, it's, it is different, obviously, if you have a, a connection there or a personal tour guide or something, but. I mean, yeah, and there's certain places you could do kind of as a tourist and just, you know, book different tours and 
uh, go along with it as everybody else's. Uh, my friend and I did that around New York City. So he's blind, I, I'm blind, and we always go to New York City. And I say this because we went a few times already. But we always go there with not really knowing exactly what we're going to do. Like, literally, we don't plan out the, the trip at all. All we have is where we're going to stay and when we're coming back, right? So the few days in there are just left completely open. And we end up doing just whatever, um literally like walk around or go skating or um find new places or we say oh we haven't walked west in a few hours let's just walk west and so we end up just doing random things it always ends up being super fun but new york city is one of those places like like toronto right you could just hop off uh, the plane from wherever and just walk around and discover fantastic things yeah For sure. it's a wild yeah. wild energy yeah and oftentimes you find sometimes the best things when you don't over plan things and and you just kind of go with the flow. So for anyone who is just tuning in, we're speaking with Ramya Amuthan here today on Outlook, co-host of the show Kelly and Company, which you can hear every weekday on AMI, Accessible Media Incorporated, at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're going to take a quick break for some promos, and we'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Outlook on 94.9 Radio Western or on podcast platforms. We are talking with Ramya Amuthan. Hi, Ramya. Thanks again for being on. We've been having such great conversation, guys. Thank you. Yeah, travel and food and all these fun things that, that uh, most people enjoy, I think. Yeah. But um, I just would, I would like to sort of get sort of how we got from, like you said, your days growing up in Scarborough to being on this um, show, Kelly and Company, <laughs> um, you said you went to school in, in Scarborough. Was that right? What was that? What were your school years like? Like, what kind of overall experience was it for you? Man, okay. So school <laughs> always holds a a a very special place in my heart because <laughs> because I loved school. Okay, I've always been a fan of. Uh, doing academic things and not because I was like great at it, but just, I don't know, I enjoyed learning. I enjoyed uh, teachers. I enjoyed um, life, like social life and bringing friends home and all that kind of stuff. Um, after high school, this was all up until the end of high school. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed school for the most part. And I've always been in an integrated school system. After high school, however, things started getting really sticky for me um, because First of all, the grade 11 years, grade 11, grade 12 years of picking where we're going to go to post-secondary and what kind of things we want to focus on, um, you know, you're 16, 17, and it's really difficult. And all my friends and I found it difficult to kind of narrow in on something you want to do for four years after high school for most of us, right? Because we we're going straight into college or university. And um, I picked something. I picked English. <laughs> and I went into English right after high school. I graduated and went straight to um, Ryerson to do English. But it honestly only lasted a year for me. And when I say it, I mean actually uh, being part of the program. Because in my mind, it only lasted like a semester. Basically, right after the first semester, I started feeling, or like near the end of the first semester, I started feeling like there is no way. It wasn't like, am I in the right place? Is this right for me? It was. There is no way that I'm doing this for four years. It's not happening. I, I did not enjoy myself. I did not focus or find the energy to focus on what I was doing. I thoroughly, like, I'm a pretty, um, 
a personality person. <laughs> like I just, I find it really difficult to kind of settle into things that I am not feeling, I'm not vibing with. So it was me pushing it to a year and, and making it to through that second semester and gritting my teeth was actually a huge push in my end because or on my end because I felt like I was doing the most by trying to survive through this program um to kind of paint a picture I wasn't hanging out with people I didn't have a social life I wasn't trying to make new friends from school uh I just I wanted to be introverted and I wouldn't I wouldn't push myself I didn't think it was important I had enough friends that I kept in touch with from high school and my family was important to me. I had friends in the blind community. So I didn't think that it was important to take part in school social life. So I didn't. And I think that that was a huge reason um, for why I didn't want to stick it out through university because I wasn't enjoying my courses. I didn't have friends. I wasn't part of any extracurricular stuff. So I was like, screw this. And after a year of being at Ryerson, I um, dropped out of the program, but I didn't want to just drop out of the program and do nothing or, you know, take a few months to, to think about things. I was wanting to go straight into something else. I was like, okay, well, if this is not my thing, then what is? So I wanted to apply myself to music because I, I love music. Brian, I heard you when you were saying guitar playing and music show. So, um, I thought I've been singing my whole life. I'm really involved with music. I love music. Maybe that's what I want to do. You know, take a school approach to music. So I applied to the jazz vocal program at York University. I got in. They asked a few questions about my my grades at Ryerson. But, you know, uh, initi- at the end of it, I got in and I went to, I transferred over to York. Um, so I had moved out of residence cause that was my first living away from home experience, but I moved out of residence and I moved in with a friend, um, in an apartment in North York and went to York university for again, a semester before I started talking myself out of this program as well. So there was obviously something going on where it wasn't necessarily school related. It was something that I was experiencing internally where I didn't want to immerse myself into post-secondary. I didn't want to immerse myself into these programs, into the social life, into the extracurricular, like the school experience, right? Like there's something about being in college and being in university and attaching yourself to this experience. And I was not present. I just, I couldn't be, I don't know. Um, I didn't know at the time exactly why, but I just didn't want to deal with it. And vision had a lot to do with it because Remember, when I was in an integrated uh, school system throughout my life before post-secondary, it felt a little easier because people knew me. I had uh, teachers kind of know that there was a student who was blind in school and people would come in to assist me, you know, help me learn the um, the school's perimeters and and classrooms and my locker area and things like that. Like it just felt that I had built this very familiar familiar experience for myself and then after high school when you get tossed into the real world you're just like "Uh oh so I I went into flight mode and I started um you know moving myself away from experiences as long as I felt uncomfortable I was like okay well then I'll just try something else and I'll try something else and then from York I wanted to try something else but I was starting to get really exhausted with school and and uh what I was going through so I just took myself out of school altogether took a whole year off 
and really try to come to tune with who I was and what was going on. Um, and so like around this time I was 18, 19, right? Like everybody else was in their second and third year of university who had graduated with me and people were, I wouldn't say happy, but people were dedicated. They were now halfway or more than halfway through their school experiences. And they were really, they knew where they were. And I didn't, I was, <laughs> I was off school, not working living with a friend um, on ODSP, the Ontario Disability Support Program. So that was the income that was helping me support myself to to live away from my house or from my parents, sorry. And um, I just felt like there was a lot to think about, but I didn't know where I was going, what I was doing. So eventually when I said, okay, maybe I can try school again, or I, I eventually need to work, guys, so I need to do something. Because um, I definitely wasn't about just sitting at home doing nothing. But I didn't, what I knew was I didn't want to go into something else and then pull myself out of it because I was having a hard time again. Okay, so that's something that I wasn't trying to um, experience. So I did some research, um, really spent some time on the internet about what school was and what that could look like. Did it have to be university? Not really. Maybe I could try college. Did it have to be really academic? Not really. There's lots of places where, and programs that include, um, what do you call it? Like co-ops, right? And mm. internships and things like that, where you get real life experience. Yeah, more hands-on experience. Exactly. So that's when I ran into radio and it was like, I'm not kidding. There was this light bulb moment where I said, why the heck didn't I ever think of radio? And it's because, and this is where I'll let you in on my uh, the background. My mom has been in media forever. Like she's always been involved in media back home, here. Um, she does a lot of seeing she's been part of radio shows. She's started her own radio shows, TV shows, everything, journalism, all kinds of stuff. But I had always avoided it because I saw the kind of work she had to put in and the kind of hours she had to put in and, and even like dealing with, I don't know, different stations and controversies. So I was like, why the heck would I ever want to be in media? And it was just blocked out of my mm, idea for work. And uh, out of my opportunities. Um, so then after experiencing all the, the different things that I did with school and media came up again, just out of nowhere, it just came up when I was doing some research. I thought, oh, wow, this is a legitimate option for me. So I did. I ended up going um, into radio at Seneca College. It was so much better and not because of the program alone. The program was awesome. Okay. The, the staff were amazing. It's much smaller classes and, and students, the student body in the radio program was obviously just way less than anything you'd find at York university program or, um, the, the Ryerson English program. But I just felt like this is something that I actually wanted to do. And not just because I wanted to do radio, because it wasn't obviously a, a lifelong dream or anything like that. If you ask Kelly, you guys spoke to Kelly, right? Kelly McDonald. he, he had a childhood dream of being on the radio. Like this was him pursuing his dream all the way to the end, being on Kelly and company. But right. for me, like that, right? It was completely like, oh, radio, that's an option. Sure. <laughs> so it was not a childhood dream pursued, but it was something where I said, listen, if I go into this right now, I want to know what it's like to pursue this and keep going with it and make it my priority to be successful at this. And that's what, led me to where I am today, I think. 
Carrie, to go back to your question. Like, I think applying myself fully, like I was, I made friends. I went out of my way as introverted as I am to, to try to socialize with people and to try to make friends and I don't know, really decide that I was going to be successful at this. And I graduated um, as the valedictorian of my class. And um, the internship at AMI turned into a contract position, which then turned into a full-time position. So I'm super, super blessed. And I think that that's kind of the, like a huge hump for me. School after high school was this huge hump that I had to get over. Um, but eventually I, I did. So it's been wonderful turnaround. Because I don't know what it would have been like if I just, after high, after, sorry, after my um, not so successful time at Ryerson, if I had decided that I was just going to quit. I'm not really a quitter, but you know what I mean? If if I had just said, okay, whatever, you know, it is what it is for me and this is life, it would have been so different, I think. But there's just so so much pressure put on young people who are still just de- developing and <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, seriously. I could talk about that forever because I felt it. I felt it from my family, like not my brothers. Okay. I have two younger brothers and we are each other's like pillars, but from my mom's end, cause she was like, she had prepared me to be this super successful person, right? From when I was a kid. So for her to see me drop out of program after program, she was just like, what the heck is going on with you? And she didn't, and then I had moved out at that point. So there was some uh, resistance there as well. And, and some more than awkwardness, I'll say awkwardness, but it was really brutal. Um, conflict, I guess would be the right word. So there was so much from that end. And like you said, we're young, we're so young, like at 17 and 18, figuring out living on my own, um, pushing past the pressures of staying in school and dropping out when everybody else was staying in school. And I was hearing it from other people too. Like I said, other people were in their second and third year and actually saying, okay, well, I'm o- I'm in my third year already. I only have one more year to go. So I'm just going to push it through. And I'm like, are you happy? And they're like, no, but I, I committed. This is what I committed to. When you pick your programs after high school and you get into the university, it's like, woohoo, this is it. It's already set for you, that path that you've technically decided on, even though you were super young and very... Uh, not sure of what goes on in life after high school. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, at the time, I'm sure it was frustrating starting somewhere and then not finishing and then going somewhere else and not finishing. But when you look back on it, in some ways, that's it's better that way instead of, like you say, pushing through for the four years if you're not really feeling it or not really into it. And then it's four years later gone by and you're then you'll still end up probably picking something else. So it's exactly. uh, it's it's all in the approach and it's it, I can kind of relate because I didn't but I didn't start um, music industry arts in college until my later 20s. So it is that the difference in, in uh, I think the social as- aspect is a huge part of it. And in that, I actually started with a general arts program first because I had no other post-secondary and to get into the music program was pretty competitive. But the, the general one, you are, I was just kind of all, all over the place and it was hard to really make any connections. So I wasn't, I was a bit more withdrawn. But then when I went into the music program, I made a connection, really good friendship with one one friend. And that really from there made the whole experience so much better. So just having that, that social connection, I think makes the world a difference. It's so true. Like you said, that one friend made it feel like, you know, your, your whole experience has been turned up, turned not upside down, like better, but that's exactly how I felt. Cause I had 
I really, really had to push myself to be social with people, guys. Like, it was so hard. It was the hardest part of school to be social for me. So, and I knew that this was a big, big detriment from the experiences of dropping out of the other programs. I knew that this was a huge reason why I wasn't enjoying school. And it wasn't. It's never just about the program. It's never just about the discipline. And that's why some of the friends who did stick it through the four years, yes, they had to start from scratch again, like you're saying, Brian, because I do have friends who said, well, I don't know what to do with this degree. I got to go back and do something else or I got to upgrade or I got to, I don't know, find another field, literally. So yeah, you're stuck in your early 20s trying to find that stuff. But they loved school because, or they loved parts of school because they made friends. And they they started building a community in their um, experiences. When you talked about growing up, you mentioned blind friends and sighted friends. Um, what was your experience around blind people, other kids and other blind people growing up? Was it common enough? How were you able to connect with blind people? Because as you say, you were integrated. So I'm assuming there weren't really any blind people in your school when you were younger. When I was like from kindergarten, basically till the end of high school, I had a, a program that I was part of called the Toronto District School Board Vision Program. So this program was huge because staff would come into your classrooms, into your school and into your classrooms, and they would teach you um, once a week usually, but they would pull you out of class and teach you certain skills. So if you were learning Braille, somebody from the vision program would come and teach you Braille. If you wanted to learn how to travel better and uh, you know orientation and mobility, an O&M instructor would come in and take you uh, out to, to learn your school or learn public transit or learn whatever it is that you wanted to improve on. So there was and also assistive technology as well, if you wanted to, you know, become better at typing or learn your computer better. So somebody would come in and this was huge because the other part of it was, and one of my favorite parts, was that all the other um, blind or low vision students around the GTA, mostly in the Toronto District School Board, obviously, because that's what the vision program, uh, you know, connected you with. So all the other students who were getting staff come in and help them out a few times a year, they would have social skills events where you're learning to interact. So we'd have trips a few times a year um, where you would go with other students from the vision program and meet them and interact with them and do cool things together. So one of the highlights, this is like, it was so fun. I, I feel like every time I bring this up, I just have so much nostalgia, but um, one of the, the yearly trips was going to the, the Royal Winter Fair at the CNE grounds. So that was wild fun. Uh, we would meet animals like cows and pigs and chickens and uh, sheep sometimes. But like the real, my favorite was the baby, baby chicklets. Like they would be a day old or something and they'd let us hold it. Um, and then we get snow cones and things like that. Uh, we'd also do an annual trip to Monocliffs. It's an outdoor education center similar to Kearney, if anyone's familiar with Kearney. Um, but yeah, you go and you sleep over for two nights. At one point, they made it two nights. And uh, you do all kinds of, for us, it was always winter activities. We do cross-country skiing, uh, snow tubing. We'd, what, what else did we do? Snowshoeing. We'd make bannock. Um, we'd build a Quincy hut, like all this kind of stuff. And it would just be a bunch of blind and low vision kids. Usually, well, some of the trips included people of all ages. So you could be in the same room 
with someone in kindergarten and someone all the way at the end of high school. But then other trips, they were more geared towards a certain age group, right? So you'd really get to meet and bond with people your age. And oh my gosh, guys, that's where I met like 94% of my friends. And I kept in touch with a lot of people that way. Um, huge. Because you all, a lot of these people were in integrated schools themselves. So we have so much to talk about, right? It's not just the, the blindness stuff, but it's being part of the sighted world stuff. And um, having these friends really helped me transition into the next phases of my life, like going from preteen to teen. We would all meet up and go out together. So it really did help with my social life that way but it also in some ways made me feel like I have these friends so I don't need any other friends <laughs> and it hindered certain aspects internally for me um not because of them they're all amazing but yeah so I still have lots of friends that I've met through the vision program and now we've known each other for like more than a decade yeah usually there is something offered for blind kids um some sort of summer camp or a winter camp like you said um, usually some sort of social events that you can be part of. Like you said, if you're if you're in school with uh, all other sighted children, all the other days of the year. But- I, I do think it is interesting to to consider it, the difference be, between being in a, in a large city like Toronto compared to, you know, we, we grew up just outside of Woodstock, a very small city. We're kind of more in the country. So when you're in Toronto, it's a bit easier to sort of connect with all of these other blind students who are integrated through these these uh, events that you you were talking about. Whereas for us, I think when we were really young, we had some summer camps and stuff to connect with blind kids throughout the area. But then it kind of once we were into we were integrated as well into school. And then I think aside from a couple friends that we that we kind of met early on, we didn't really keep up with many blind people growing up. So it was almost in some ways, most most of my friends were sighted and I kind of I was okay with that. But then now getting a bit older and and looking back on things, I'm trying to make more connections in the blind community because I do think it's important to have. I mean, a friend is a friend, but it's nice to have a, a variety of, of blind pe- people, uh, friends and, or low vision friends and then people who aren't. So, you know, you can connect in different ways. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. And you guys make a really good point about the remote areas and, and places where you don't feel as connected. Like if there's just the two of you uh, in your town who are low vision and you the integrated or sorry, the the specialized programming was offered, you know, more broadly. So you meet people, but you only see them maybe once a year, right? And then you keep in touch kind of remotely. Um, that is a that is a big difference. And there were certain things that I felt like I wasn't part of because of that. Um, or or certain groups of people that I didn't meet because of that. But yes, in Toronto, it is an extremely central place. Like not just for meeting people who also live in Toronto, but when other things happen, like if some organization is holding a national conference you know, coin toss, it most likely is going to be Toronto, right? Like, I mean, maybe Vancouver or something, but there's just so many advantages to living in a place like Toronto when it comes to accessibility and things like that. But yeah, we have to be so conscious, um, which you guys are inertly because you're from smaller places, but we have to be so conscious of what this means more widespread, like what it means in a bigger picture scenario for blind and low vision people living elsewhere. Definitely. So for anyone who's just tuning in, we're speaking with Ramia Amuthan here today on Outlook. She is the co-host of the show Kelly and Company, which you can hear weekdays at 2 p.m. on AMI, Accessible Media Incorporated. We have around five minutes left on today's show. Thanks 
so much for coming on today. This has been so much fun. And uh... yeah, um, maybe before we go, um, these, these times, the hours just fly by. Um, before we go, maybe you can tell our listeners, um, we've talked about it a bit before the show, but tell our listeners what Kelly and Company is all about, what they get, what they can get if they tune in. And what makes your relationship with Kelly? Because I, I just have to say, I love when you how you refer to him affectionately as your co-host with as Kells. I just think that's really nice. <laughs> yeah, we're <laughs> Kells and I are friends on and off the air, so it makes it so um, remarkably fun to be on the show with him because he and I met before I was co-host of Kelly and Company. We ran into each other a few times, and he's just you guys have had him on the show. He's just so easy to click with, easy to talk to. You can bring up anything with him. You know, we have such a a fun time on the show with talking to people like you guys do, and we talk about everything. To be honest, we have regular segments on the show that are entertainment based or arts based or uh you know cooking because we can't stop talking about food ever and sports and things like that but also um people who come on to let us know about different events in the blind or low vision community happening nationally that's the other cool thing i feel like i'm checking in with around the country because we have people come on from east coast west coast north everywhere so it is um fabulous like right now because of the pandemic we haven't kelly and i haven't gone out to to see people um and do remote shows outside of uh, our home locations basically but uh in in other years we have we've gone and we've met listeners and um taken part in so many cool things from across canada as well so it's a it's a huge 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 part of my life to be on the show it's not just work for me it's a lot of fun our team is amazing um and i really appreciate you guys letting me talk about it for a few minutes no definitely that's what we wanted um that's what we want to use outlook for for sure and one of one of one of the big things anyway for me um like i agree with you nationally it's important so uh, i'm sure you get to learn a lot of cool things and and yeah your show does sort of touch on a lot of things everything and um you guys have a great energy so thank you Absolutely. It's, and like you say, it's really is great that it's, although it's hosted from Ontario, it is such a, on a natu- national spectrum where it covers everything across, across Canada. So that's, that just gives it such a, such a wider audience and it applies to anyone who's blind around or low vision or even just anyone who's interested in, in learning about this stuff. So. Yeah, no, honestly, coming from Toronto, I have a extremely narrow, like, I don't know, it's like you easily feel like everything is around Toronto. You know, it's the center of the universe. That's what Toronto is. But I constantly have to take a step back from that point of view and realize there's a lot to be learned about um, across the country. And that's that's one of the biggest uh, reasons why the show is so great for me. All right. Well, with with a couple minutes left, I'm not sure if there's anything else specifically that we didn't cover that you'd like to talk about. I thought maybe maybe just talk a little bit about your your interests outside of outside of work maybe touch a bit on the music part of it you mentioned something about uh singing or jazz singing be interested yeah. to hear a bit about that yeah no i've i've sang my whole life i've never pursued it as like a big you know i want to i want to perform i want to um make music as a living i haven't pursued it that way um but it is a huge passion of mine it's a lot of fun I just don't have the discipline to be a real live musician. 
<laughs> so, because it takes a lot of discipline and I just, I can't seem to find it uh, in me. But I've always taken the time out to do music, to teach music. Um, I've, I've run a few vocal classes with a few organizations in the past. So anything that comes my way when it, uh, vocal related or singing related I take it um, for fun or not I, I really do take it because I, I love music it's always been a part of my life um, but other than that I also like I said to you a few times I'm a very adventurous person so my friends and I um, from the low vision community my friend George and I have started a chapter of with the Canadian, Canadian Council of the Blind called Adventures where we bring people the opportunity to come out of your comfort zone and do something um, physical, physical activity related. So we've done axe throwing, we've done aerobics classes, we've ran um, a Brazilian Zouk dance class as well, which is a very high contact uh, dance class. So stuff like that. And then we took a little bit of a break during the pandemic, trying to figure out what the heck we're going to do to try to get people out and physical, physically active. But we're now running some virtual yoga classes that are going really well and they're regular classes as well. Might need to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so anyone can um, find us by, well, you can reach me at info at takeadventures.com. Very cool. We're trying to talk about more activities, active sports and stuff like that on this show because Carrie and I haven't done as much of that as as I as a, personally I would like to so but I love adventures yeah absolutely so this has been great thank you so much Ramya for coming on today's show and everyone make sure to check out Kelly and Company with Ramya every weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time go to ami.ca thank you guys find us on Twitter Outlook CFB and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Outlook on Radio Western. <laughs>